Hello and welcome back. We are back. Football, Grits, together again on Football and Grits, the Athletics SEC football podcast. I am here with my co-host, Josh Kendall. Josh, how does it feel to be back? Spring is over. The offseason is officially afoot, and we got a lot to talk about. It's always good to be talking college football. It is, you know, I, I hope I never lose this um feeling i have now which is i'm so happy they're playing football i'm still that lingering from 2020 i was so happy they were playing football i'm still just as happy they are playing football heading into 2021 i even liked spring football this year (laughs) you know i can't help but think about where we were a year ago and the optimism was was minimal I didn't think there was going to be a season. A lot of people, most people in the sport, you know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of uncertainty. But you talk to people, you saw how things were going in, in America. It did not feel like the season was was probably going to happen this time last year. And it's nice to be sitting here in May and uh, don't report this to freezing cold takes, or maybe you can. But we're going to have a season, Josh, and I can feel pretty confident in that. <laughs> and it's yeah, nice it, to be able to have to not have to be in limbo. And to be, and the only thing that we're really questioning is how many people are going to be in stadiums up to 100%. So absolutely, that's a much better question than are they even going to be able to pull this thing off. Yeah, and I think too, you know, considering we're still four months out from the season, just my feel for it. There might be a couple exceptions, you know, Vanderbilt, just because Nashville has been very, very careful. Um, you know, I'd be surprised if not every SEC stadium was okay with 100%. I'll be surprised if that's not the case. Um, I could be wrong there, but I just think there's so much money and there is so much um, rush to get back full strength after last season uh, that I'll be surprised if there's not a hundred percent how you get there. Will people, you know, I think there's going to be an attendance spike, but will there be a hesitancy? I'm, I'm not sure. I, I don't think so. Um, but maybe, um, I don't sense a hesitancy in Columbia, South Carolina. I don't in I'm, Knoxville either. I think people and I'm are betting ready to that go. that's the case in most <laughs> sec cities. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting year. Uh, it's going to be, you know, I was talking to, um, uh, a, a former coach a couple weeks ago, and I just noted, you know, last season all, all the the joy was kind of out of it. It was nice to have football; it was good, but it just it wasn't the same. It kind of felt like you're going through the motions a little bit. You go to you go to game day, you're driving around, just like the feel wasn't there, and, and the games were there, but you know, you and especially the Big Ten, you have empty stadiums. Uh, the SEC, it just wasn't quite the same. The game day experience, it, it felt like a lot of the joy and a lot of the uh, the, the pomp and circumstances, the pomp, yeah. yeah, was was gone. I've, al- I've always big, been a big pomp guy. I love. I'm, I'm lean more towards circumstance at times, but so pomp, pomp is still guy. strong. Pomp is strong. I'm a, I'm a pomp guy, and I, I knew. I always knew that that was important to me. That that part of college football was important to me, mm-hmm. and and I knew going into 2020. I can still remember going to that 
Tennessee game, which was South Carolina's first game and Tennessee's first game. They were definitely pumping fake crowd noise, right? Because that was pretty loud. And it was like 20,000. <laughs> I'm sure that they were, but do you remember that walk to the stadium? And yeah. How, I mean, it, it was pomp-free, and it was, <laughs> that was no good. That was just weird. I remember we were sitting there waiting for the stadium to open, and there's just like, it could have been... You wouldn't have known a difference between the Saturday of the first uh, game of the season and like this Saturday. It felt the yeah. exact same. Um, the uh, bring back the, the people. The giant gamecock statue was looking very sad, still angry, still ready to pounce, but but very very sad. No, but um, nobody to pounce on. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, Josh, we got to get down to business. Um, there's a lot of football. Spring football is done. Uh, there's been a lot of developments. But just off the top, who are the guys that you think are, are going to make or break this season, that are going to decide the story of the SEC in 2021? Uh, who stands out to you when you look across the league? Well, I think we have to talk about quarterbacks, and this is probably the place. But I'm going to – because there are a lot of interesting quarterback situations in the league. But I'm going to start with Joe Brady – and the influence that Joe Brady is going to have on SEC football this year. And before everybody, you know, starts hollering into their car radio or whatever they holler into these days, I know Joe Brady is not in the SEC anymore. <laughs> but we have now seen two schools, including LSU, his former school, and South Carolina, where I am, basically take the Sean McVay route, which is we are going to hire offensive coordinators who were in the same room with Joe Brady under the belief, the hope, the whatever, that the magic is just transferable by osmosis. I'm not sure. That's a strategy to me that is risky. I'm interested to see what Jake Peets brings to LSU, what Marcus Satterfield, although he's not exactly a Brady guy, but Mm -hmm. he's been clear at South Carolina that he's going to bring that Brady style. You know, I I think sometimes when you try to recreate the magic, when you try to clone the magic, <clears throat> the Nick Saban disciples, it's it just doesn't really work well. So I'm interested to see how that sort of cloning experiment goes at LSU and at South Carolina. Um, but I but you know, in terms of who will decide the things on the field, boy, there are a lot of interesting quarterback situations. I. <sighs> It's not – I wouldn't say that I don't get it, per se. I totally get it. But, I just, well, but we're still talking about a guy that makes was me in nervous. the league for one year. One year. Right. It was right. a great year. Don't get me wrong. But the fact that you have a guy that was there for one year, took over a program – well, I say take over a program. Took over an offense that was obviously underachieving, that had a lot of talent, that had you know a bunch of first-round picks on it, Jamar Chase um, – you know, obviously, uh, Joe Burrow, and now all of a sudden, everybody wants to to you could say clone that guy. You know, the closest thing I can remember, obviously, we've seen the Nick Saban. Nick Saban, I mean, he's been in the league a little more than one year. He's done a little a little more than uh, than coordinated one offense. And but in the Big Twelve, you know, you had Mike Leach, who had the same influence even when he was at Washington State. But he was in the league a long time, and he had a gigantic coaching tree of guys that had proven themselves in other places and had taken those air raid concepts and had developed them. And then all of a sudden, you've got Lincoln Riley out there uh, causing trouble. You got Dana Holgerson doing all kinds of stuff. Um, you got it, it was people that had been elsewhere 
that had proven themselves in a lot of different places um, and had really changed the game and were now getting big jobs and doing some similar things. Joe Brady, again, the Sean McVay comparison is, is apt because you have guys who haven't really proven themselves. And he was, and Joe Brady was only one year, and now all of a sudden everybody's chasing that. LSU to a little to a, you know a little bit, obviously, trying to chase something similar. I didn't like it last year. I don't like it this year. It, it's there, there's too much chasing. There's, there's too just much so little chasing proven. in college football, and it it frustrates me when we see a hundred and. 20 teams chasing what has worked for the top 10 mm-hmm. because I don't think that that's du- duplicatable in a lot of places and I would like to see more people zig when everybody else is zagging. I think that Orgeron's original hire of Joe Brady was inspired. I think that that Agreed. was great because he zagged. He zigged or he zagged. What, you know, he went out and found somebody that the rest of us did that wasn't just the next guy on everybody's list and gave him a shot and it worked out great. So I applaud that. But I, instead of you know following him down that road, I would like to see other people try to find another road. Find your own Joe Brady. Find, you know, right. go talk to people around the sport. Just meet people, talk to people, and say, "Oh, that guy's bright. That Joe Brady." Or you know, take the Mike Gundy approach. Just Google the top offenses and go start talking to him. And go hire Mike Yersich to help you. Now Mike Yersich is a star in this in this uh, in this business. It just—it seems wild to me that after one year, uh, you know, as the, uh, you know, I think what—I'm not even sure he was the OC. I think he was calling plays. Oh no, yes, don't call it. Don't call him the OC. Passing the game LSU coordinator. Will, yeah, the LSU people will be all over you. Yeah, we understand he was not the offensive coordinator. You understand he was the offensive coordinator. <laughs> Let's move on. But yeah, one year. Not even a head coach, and now you want to go find everybody that ever uh, had a Zoom call with him and try to, you know, it just it's wild to me uh, that that you have so little proven uh, results, and and all of a sudden that's the that's the template that you're chasing. Um, for me, I, I I will talk about a quarterback, and we won't be talking about the SEC West. We're talking about the SEC East. Dan Mullen, a well earned reputation. As a quarterback developer, I'm not a. I'm not sure what I've seen in Emory Jones just yet, but he's got to. He's got to be that guy. He's obviously a very different player from Kyle Trask. Saw some good things uh, in, in, in at times from him uh, over the course of his career, but it's his show now. And if Florida is going to challenge Georgia and continue this sort of rise and become. Uh, what people want Florida to be and what Dan Mullen uh, has sort of teased them looking like so far. He's got to play big. You know, they found Kyle Trask, the the two-star uh, with, you know, he came out of literally nowhere. I was, I was at his first start uh, in 2019, and he was just shredding people. And at the time, we thought it might just be Tennessee's defense, but it turns out Kyle Trask is a pretty good player. Uh, and Emory Jones has got to continue that. I, I, a more highly recruited guy than Kyle Trask, but uh, as a passer, you you got to uh, you got to do some things. And I, is I'm it possible though that we're skept- that we're overly skeptical of Emory Jones because we still don't appreciate Kyle Trask because we assume sort of whether in the front or the back of our mind that if Emory Jones was any good, he would have beaten out Kyle Trask. 
because Kyle Trask wasn't that good anyway, and he was just doing all that in, with smoke and mirrors? It's possible. Is that part of this argument? I think part of it, too, you know, no Trevon Grimes, no Kadarius Tony, no Kyle Pitts. Trask had a lot of weapons, and I think Florida, you know, just rebooting their whole offense, you know, we saw how that went at times in the Cotton Bowl when they had didn't have all those guys, and that's not a perfect example. Obviously, you have a lot more time to prepare. But they're gonna have to find some dudes, and uh, you know it'll be it'll be a, a challenge for them, um, and a challenge for Emory Jones. But he's a guy that that is gonna decide how this goes. If he's putting up big numbers, uh, you know, Florida, they're gonna have a chance to challenge challenge Georgia again. Um, but if he's is, is struggling and, and inconsistent, I mean, Georgia's gonna run away with it. And you, I'll mention another quarterback here quickly is JT Daniels. Maybe maybe I'm slow to get on that train. I still want to see more. Again, like, like I worry that people hold Emory Jones not being able to beat Kyle Trask against him, I still, I guess, hold a little bit JT Daniels not being able to win that job until the back third of the season against him. And maybe that's health situation. Maybe that's you know st- stuff we don't know. He has looked good when he's been on the field. We should give him credit for that. I'm interested to see how it goes over the course of a season. Mm-hmm. I know it went great in the spring. I know. Don't don't email me. I know it <laughs> yeah, I I uh, I'll be intrigued to see how that goes. Uh, we got a lot of Georgia to talk about a little later in the show. Uh, Josh, we've missed Star Wars Day. We're a day late, but the Death Star rolls on. And if uh, if you'll pardon the mixed metaphors here for the Star Wars fans out there, the Death Star has a new Padawan on the on the scene. And we need to talk about the Alabama players that are now going to terrorize the SEC. And let me tell you, I don't know how much SEC fans, the average SEC fan has watched Bryce Young, whether that be in the blowouts last year or in high school um, or, or various other times. And I don't, mean to, I don't mean to put undue pressure on the guy. He still hasn't really played. He still hasn't done a whole lot. But just me, from what I've seen... I think he has a chance to be the best Bama QB ever. Uh, you you see him throw that ball, it, it flies out of his hand. You just we haven't seen pop like that from a Bama quarterback, uh, literally ever. Um, just the stra- the arm strength is is wild for him. Uh, and then of course all the talent around him, uh, he's gonna have a chance to really shine. For me, if I could go to Vegas right now and put down money that he's gonna be a Heisman Trophy winner or the number one pick, or both, I think I would do that. Uh, I think just the entire structure around him, his natural talent, being able to sit and be in that system um, and be around the Bama program, uh, you know, ruminate on the process for a year, I just, you know, it may not be right away. It may take him a little time, but man, by the time he gets rolling, he's going to be a problem for the SEC, and and I really think that he has a chance to to take that position even beyond where Tua took it. Well, that's frightening because, you know... It should I, be. <laughs> I mean, I think we honestly believe that they could put anybody in at quarterback, anybody on that roster in at quarterback, and still be, if not the SEC West favorite, then right there in the mix. Mm-hmm. So if you put a guy who is a legitimate dude in there at quarterback... You know, I, I don't know what folks do with that. They're, they're reloading has become 
almost faceless to me. If we're going to carry out this Star Wars metaphor, it's almost like stormtroopers. They're just all incredibly menacing and look kind of the same from the outside, and there's just another row of them behind the first row. You know, Brian Robinson is, is almost anonymous in the SEC. He's going to be a monster. Mm-hmm. John Minchie, you know, to me is, you know, has some echoes of what of Devonte Smith and Jalen Waddle, a guy that we were like, oh yeah, you remember him? He was pretty good last year. I wonder if he'll be any. Good. Oh God, look out! You know that that's the kind of thing I see from him. They've got a, I know they've got a freshman who looked wide receiver whose first name I will butcher, but the Hall kid, he's gonna be good. You know, it's just, it's not boring. Because you know that their excellence shouldn't bore us, but it becomes a march, a sort of monotonous. Some part of it is a monotonous march from the outside looking in. Well, not to get too existential, but it comes down to they're playing four, maybe five games a year that they can lose. They're just playing a bunch of games where they're not. They just it would take a a divine act of God for them to lose. And the rest, you know, you're the, when they play Georgia, when they play Florida, you know, you need everything to kind of go right and get a couple bounces, and they could lose those games. But they don't. You don't see them have the, you know, oh, they came out flat today. Oh, you know, they're down seventeen nothing, and they got to dig their way out. That just doesn't happen to Bama teams. Um, you know, when they lose, it makes a lot of sense why they lost. You know, uh, you you never sit there like, what the heck happened? You know. Uh, and, but I, I, I'm telling you, you know, we, we saw that Mac Jones, a good player, obviously, uh, a first round pick, but he didn't have the tools, um, that Bryce Young has. When you talk about the, just the, the athletic ability, the, uh, arm strength, you know, he's got to prove it between the years, but, you know, a guy that was freakishly productive, uh, in high school, uh, out in California, I, I shudder for the defensive coordinators across the league. It's not going to be a fun year for you again uh, when you line up and play Bama because they're going to be able to do some things, uh, especially once he matures, that they just have not been able to do before. And, uh, and good luck. And they do the same type of thing with the coaching staff too. I mean, yeah, you, you, you might think, well, they lost Sarkeesian. He went to Texas. How's it going to work? Oh, well, I'll tell you how it's going to work. They've got a former NFL head coach who is their offensive coordinator and another former NFL head coach who's their line co- I mean it's just it's insane. So what does you know what does Bill O'Brien bring to the process that's a little bit different than what they did and now you not only have to deal with Bryce Young but you've got to deal with that and you know for you know, for all the you know I'm sure we could fill an hour of Texans fans thoughts on Bill O'Brien but the guy can coach offensive football in a very, you know, that guy knows a lot of offense from way back and a lot of interesting stuff. He's been doing it at different places for a long time. I think that, I think he could be a problem just by himself. And you can hate on Bill O'Brien, but guess who Bill O'Brien was a better NFL coach than? Nick Saban. (laughs) And, and Bill O'Brien didn't have all the best players at every position, uh, at the, at the, in Houston with the Texans. He does now. Uh, so watch out. The Death Star rolls on, Josh. One more, one more name to remember. Not that you could forget it. Jaquincy McKinstry. Yep. Cornerback, five star. Aaron, our Aaron Suttles says, you know, already looks like a senior. 
Love the name. Hope he's great just for the name. Fortunately, Josh, the approval rating of you and I as constituents is not contingent upon getting past an Alabama football team. I, I'm Every day I wake up, I'm thankful for that. I'm sure you are as well. We can't say the same for our friend Kirby Smart down in Athens, <laughs> whose sole job is, uh, hey, I, I know you, you're doing great, but um, hey, we need you to pass up um, the best coach in the history of the game. So, Josh, the question becomes, they haven't beaten them yet. They've come as close as anyone. They've been knocking on the door, um, but they haven't gotten there yet. What does Georgia have to do to, to finally break through this year? They'll have a shot. Points. They've got to score points. They've got to score lots of points. They are excellent. I don't think there. I don't think there's any question. But you know, we are. We have entered an SEC where no matter how good your defense is, it can't do it alone. I think Kirby. You know, we've talked about how how Kirby and Will and Jeremy Pruitt have. Have, Will Muschamp have you know tried to kind of clone the the Knicks system, but they were kind of trying to clone the old Knicks system. They hadn't been they 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 had been so busy copying down the 2014 stuff that they missed the fact a little bit that Nick is now in 2030 with his offense. So you've got to score more points. This is a team that was fifth in the SEC in scoring last year, so it's not like they couldn't score. Mm-hmm. But the two teams that played in the conference title game were number one and number two in scoring. And why did they lose now, to Florida? They couldn't score. Florida was was rolling it up on them. It is now a points league. You have to score a bunch of them. So this circles back around to JT Daniels, who we talked about. You know, Todd Munkin. Mark Richt was undone by two things eventually. And I hate to even say undone because 15 years and averaging almost 10 wins in the SEC – is a remarkable, and I mean that word specifically, remarkable SEC career. One of these days, hiring, one of these days, we need to have an in memoriam section like the Oscars of all the coaches that Nick Saban has gotten fired. Mark Richt might be the best of that bunch, no question. And you know, Mark Richt w- was was fired in Athens because he couldn't win one game. It was this game, the national championship game, which means beating Nick Saban, <laughs> and because at the end. His coordinator hires were not elite. Mm-hmm. I think everybody remembers Brian Schottenheimer in Athens not necessarily well. So is Todd Munkin, you know, where's Todd Munkin on that scale? Is he a guy who is going to, I mean, because it's a it's a tough grading scale at that job. Being really good, I'm not sure is good enough. Um, Todd Munkin, JT Daniels, no George Pickens, doesn't matter. You know, run the ball, though. They've got to score more points. I think I, I liked what I saw from them last year. I, I think the fact that they know what their quarterback situation is now. JT Daniels is healthy. He's been able to practice. Uh, you know, no disrespect to Stetson Bennett, but if you're throwing him out there and saying, hey, go beat Bama, go put 50 on the board, I mean, that's a big ask. That is a big ask. But I'm going to go on the other side of this from you, Josh, because I, I the easy answer is JT Daniels has to take that next step. And he may. I think he will. He's a, probably a first-round pick. Darnell Washington, really exciting player. I'm excited to see him. Just a, a freak. But but really, what they need, 
they got to avoid the bad luck that killed them last year. You know, they had one of the best defenses in the country early on. And, and some people might say, well, maybe those numbers were goosed a little bit by the competition. Um, maybe. But they got beat up on defense. They really struggled in the back half. If They, they got to stay healthy um, because they, they, they're still a, a great roster, uh, all of those things. Um, but they, they couldn't stomach a lot of the, the injuries. Their defense got absolutely... Um, you know, just decimated by injuries last year, and, and it showed. It hurt them in the back half of the season. It's a big reason why they lost to Florida. It's a big reason why the, the, the thing came off the rails a little bit. And so I, I think they're going to be able to score points. I don't know that they're going to be able to score them at the clip that, that Bama's probably going to be able to and, and that uh, even Ole Miss might be able to. But they can be that second tier of, of offense. And if, they're, if their defense is elite, um, they're going to be in a lot of games. And, you know, that – they're still going to need to kick it into high gear when they play Alabama, but right. But we're not. I think it comes about, down to the defense. I think they got. We're not healthy talking about being in a lot of games. We're talking about winning the one game you're hired to win. Yeah. And and, and but I you but you, you get you can't give up fifty. You can't just give up fifty and say we got to score fifty five. And that's where the defense comes in. No, but how many realistically, even with an elite defense, which I think that they will have, even with an elite defense, what's the realistic number that you should you should hold Bama to? Well, if you have an elite offense, right, and you can put up points, you can control the clock a little bit, you should be able to say 42 gets us this win. Right. And if you can't, you're not going to beat Bama. you gotta, right. you got to against. I, I just don't think that 42 against Nick Saban, you, I don't think you get there with a second-tier offense. I think the offense has got to – I don't think the offense can be – one step below. I think the offense has got to take that final step for them to take that final step. I mean, every, it, it, it's got to be both. It's not one or the other can carry you to that level. It's got to be both at this point. Yeah, to some degree, but I just think watching that Bama, Bama game last year where they just couldn't get a stop, you don't have a chance. You don't have a chance. If you can get some stops, you're giving yourself a chance. But when Bama is just tearing through you, you don't give yourself a chance. That's why I lean defense there. Um, we got to play stock up, stock down, Josh. Looking across the league. Uh, I will start here on stock up. Is there anywhere... I don't know if... Uh, you know, GameStop was the the hottest stock of the offseason. Uh, but where is my Ole Miss stock? Can I get as much of that as possible? Um, pour all my money into that... Here's where I'm at. The defense can't be worse. It can't. And they still were respectable last year. They bring back nine starters from that group. Offensively, you know, no Elijah Moore, no Kenny Yaboa, but you still got Lane Kiffin. You got that Baylor offense. You got Matt Corral. The Randy Clemens firing, I will admit, is a very concerning. Not not great when you're firing your offensive coordinator for football or your, your uh, offensive line coach for, for football reasons post spring. Uh, especially a guy that's really respected as, as Randy Clements is and, and his ability to coach the offensive line. But I just think they're going to fill it up. They're going to be a headache. They went 5-5 five and five last year. This can be a top-20 team. Uh, they're ju- they're going to be one of those teams that, okay, they're not going to win the West, right? But they're going to be above 500, and you're going to turn the page to Ole Miss week, and you're just going to let out that, that exasperated sigh, and you're just going to be hanging on for dear life. Uh, on 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 Saturday, and you know, as good as Bama was last year, who gave them the biggest headache? That's Ole Miss, and I think it's gonna uh, it's gonna continue. I love Lane. I love Lane in the league. I'm not arguing against 
your your buy here necessarily. I don't like the sound of this. I don't like the sound of this. No, not in. It. But isn't there some cryptocurrency to Ole Miss in that? And maybe this is unfair of me, but here here we are. It's going great. It's soaring. Look how good that is. But would we really be surprised if we woke up in the morning and opened the paper or opened the athletic and, oh, that's over. That's that's done. <laughs> the bottom <laughs> fell out of that thing. Would, would we really be shocked? I'm hesitant to buy stock in Ole Miss because I think, you know, we could just roll into July and we're like, oh, well, no, that's done. <laughs> it's We're I, starting over there. I think – I'm going to say no because I think we're seeing a a more mature Lane Kiffin, a guy who's learned from his mistakes. I hope I hope we are because he deserves that opportunity and he's fun. Scared money don't make money. I got it. I'm just, you know, maybe I like it. Maybe I'm enjoying what's going on in Oxford so much that I'm just the skeptic <laughs> in me is is afraid that it's going to be taken away because I think that Lane in Oxford is fantastic and it makes the league much more interesting what he's doing. He has gone through the process, Josh. He's been inside the process. Now he's outside the process. I don't think you can count him as a lane as a as a Nick Saban disciple. I'm gonna say that. I'm gonna say you can't no, you, you cannot, cannot count him. But man, as he's having as much success as uh, as just about anybody outside of Kirby Smart. Uh, and Once Kirby Smart, to be fair, is has the best job in college football. Once you poke the bear for the third or fourth time, you, you get stripped of your disciple status. That's not, you know, true, disi- <laughs> true disciples do not poke the bear on social media. Um, also, dare I say, if you've coached a blue blood before you come to Nick Saban, I don't think you can count yourself he as a Nick Saban disciple. He doesn't get to take credit for no, it, NFL so. head coaches who came to his. Yeah. Bill O'Brien. Bill, Bill O'Brien, O'Brien, Nick Saban disciple, a, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Josh, who is your stock up then? If you're, if you're not as bullish on the uh uh what the bear mascot uh is is still odd they got rid of colonel reb right or is he still around i forget. I think they got rid of him i have a hard time keeping up i'll, I'll yeah. be honest with but who's you. your I'm, stock up here you'll be unsurprised that i'm going based on my lane take that i'm going more conservative and i'm gonna take kentucky because you Big know liam cohen guy here <laughs> yeah i i am and i'll get to that but but kentucky is you know is they're not exactly IBM, but they're just, you know, they're going to keep the Coke, maybe. They're just going to go, they're going up and up and up. And they're not, there's no spike coming, but they're just progressing. And I think that, you know, we've all loved what Stoops has done. And we've all kind of thought it was cute, maybe, that he was doing it with a 1980s offense. Well, he decided he's coming on now. He's He's going to join Nick Saban. He has gone... Liam Cohen, who I think we talked about Joe Brady to to start and trying to clone Joe Brady. I think that Stoops has done it in a way that I am more interested in because what he's done is he's gone down that road a bit, but he's not just followed Joe Brady. He's gone and tried to find his own. So he's he's looked around. Yeah, and again, this comes back to Sean McVay, obviously, because there's the Rams connection. But I'm I'm interested to see a does just the hire of Liam Cohen work? How, how how does Liam Liam Cohen do? Is he the new Joe Brady? Is next year everybody going to be going to get Liam Cohen disciples? And B, if they have the offense rolling, can they take the next step? I mean, Kentucky has been a great story, but Kentucky has not contended for the SEC East. I mean, Stoops gets a ton of credit 
for running a respectable program. Kenny, if if they put some offense together, could they be in the conversation in November? I, I'm I'm not sure, but I'm interested to see what it looks like. And I'm gonna I'll buy Kentucky stock. Mm-hmm. You know, I I, uh, I have to say that you know, looking at Liam Cohen, uh, looking at our friends uh, Bruce Feldman and Kyle Tucker's story, I wanted to go back and and uh, from right after he was hired. A very interesting note. Uh, for one, before we get too into Liam Cohen, I will say I love the guys that go through the small schools, the Maine, the Rhode Island, because the talent gap between the best teams and like the, the second or third tier teams in those leagues is not that wide. And if you can emerge out of that, you got some X's and O's to you because there's it's an X's and O's style of football. And, and because there's well less attention, and because there's less attention, I think that they are. They let themselves experiment more. They try more mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, we again we're back to copycat. You get to this level, and we see so much scared money because you know we're not going to do it differently. We're just going to keep trying to do it this way because if we tried to do it differently and it didn't work, we're going to be on CBS at three thirty and look like idiots. Mm-hmm. Chip Kelly at New Hampshire is not worried about that. He's just in the lab tinkering so i i think that that's part of it too you come out with you know some really neat stuff in that environment Mm -hmm. well let me take you inside the liam cohen mark stoops interview from our friends go read their story about liam cohen you should it's very good cohen clicked through a 15 clip breakdown of kentucky plays that he liked and didn't explaining exactly why the good ones worked and the bad ones didn't then zipped through an exhaustive 300-play video of things he thought he could bring along with from the Rams. Not just the basic offense, but the situational stuff. Here's how we attack third down. These plays always work in the red zone. About 50 clips into that video, Stoops told Cohen to stop. He'd seen enough. Uh, Again, that's from our friends Bruce Feldman and Kyle Tucker. You know, you got to have a guy that can run it. Joey Gatewood has to prove himself there. We'll see if he can do that. But Kentucky has just frustrated people because they're still Kentucky and they don't have that respect. And they come in and beat you. I mean, Tennessee fans experienced this last year. You think, oh, it's Kentucky. You know, if we just take care of business, we're going to beat them. And then they come in and they beat you by 27 points and everyone's looking around going, what happened? You know, what happened there? And Kentucky is is you know they're that they're that team that 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 keeps winning ball games, keeps going to bowl games, and people don't respect them. They keep putting stuff together, whether it's Lynn Bowden or you know uh, last year the offense was a lot of duct tape and twine, but hey, it worked and they and they were able to win some ball games and they might take it to the next level. So I'm I'm intrigued to see your stock up here. I, I don't know if it's going to happen in year one, but uh, big picture, I'm, I'm buying. Liam this is yeah. I mean, this is a long term buy. This is this mm-hmm. is the conservative play to put <laughs> put this in the re, in the retirement account and be confident. We know five years down the road, it's going to be more valuable than it was today. Yes, uh, the clean energy buy, uh, as they say. Uh, I think also, by the way, before we go to stock down, uh, Aggies pretty high floor for me. Uh, I, I'm not sure that they're going to break through. The West is tough, but I don't, you know. The, the amount of recruiting that they've done, the uh, Jimbo Fisher being there, I, I just think their their floor is really really high. Uh, I don't see them losing or you know winning fewer than nine games this year. I, I I agree that they're lurking, and it is weird for them to be lurking because normally one game can they, change a lot. Normally they are 
the team that we're kind of, you know, is this the year? Is this the year? Is this the year? Mm-hmm. I, I think that Texas A&M fans maybe are, are a little excited not to be hearing that and, and happy to try a different approach. Uh, they, they could be good. Yeah. I mean, it happened last year. You know, nobody was taking them that seriously. People, oh, Jimbo, year three, you know, making fun of the $75 million, and then they beat Florida. That was that, that was me. You don't have to rub it in my face. <laughs> that was me. And then they beat Florida, and all of a sudden it's, oh, A&M is knocking on the door of the playoff, you know. Uh, they, they got rolled by Bama before people realized that Bama was as good as they were. And, you know, we were talking about on the show, they got to do better against Bama, but that Bama team was absurd. Uh, and so one game can change a lot. I just think the, you're right. The Aggies are going to be lurking because that floor is going to be so high. Uh, you know, I don't think they're going to lose games that they shouldn't um, because that talent level is so high, and, and I think Jimbo's going to have them ready. So stock down. Uh, Josh, I will give you a chance to defend this because you know them better than I do. I'm really skeptical of South Carolina. I didn't really get the Shane Beamer hire when it happened. You know, maybe this is a big picture thing. The, the roster's not in great shape. It feels like a Clemson copycat a little bit, but they, you know, the, the Tigers struck lightning with Dabo, and and they were even getting impatient. You know, it felt like a, but it, this just feels like a risky move at a tough gig. Um, am I being too harsh on the Gamecocks? I, th- I think your skepticism is understandable, but I don't know that they're. I mean, I don't think they're a stock down team because. Their stock is already near the. This is a two-win team last year. Fair point. You know the stock. The stock's not going to go much lower. You know, this might be the time to buy Gamecocks because you can get them cheap. Um, Shane Beamer is is a definitely an unknown. But I'm not. You know, if I'm if I'm going to fuss about people like South Carolina trying to recreate what Alabama did by hiring an Alabama guy. I can't at least immediately turn around and fuss about them going way outside of what the expectations might have been and trying a different way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mentioned I'm, I'm skeptical of trying to clone Joe Brady, which South Carolina, you know, is doing to a degree with the hire of Marcus Satterfield. But at the same time, you know, Marcus Satterfield does have a background in other places you know particularly with Matt Rule Marcus Satterfield from everything that I've heard is a really sort of is a tinkerer like we talked about it 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 might work and if you're South Carolina try something that might work instead of just banging your head against the same concrete ceiling so you know I don't I don't think they're a stock down team because they're in the valley right now um, I'm not. I'm not here to pound on the table and tell you to buy South Carolina stock, but I wouldn't sell it right now. Well, whose stock are you selling before it dips? I'm selling Auburn. I just n- n- Auburn never really makes sense to me, and we've talked about that being the beauty of Auburn to some degree. But maybe the number one thing that struck me when I did the SEC coaching higher rankings you know earlier this year Mm -hmm. was that Auburn has essentially hired five guys in a row who have worked now they haven't worked at times too they've all had their weirdness but they've all won at a very respectable level at some point in their career the math tells me you can't hire six guys in a row in the SEC 
that do that. Nobody's luck is that good. Nobody is that good at doing it. The whole firing Gus thing, it just hiring Harson. I the, I don't love the fit. Um, I I don't know. I just there's I, I can't put my finger on it, but I don't like the feel at Auburn, the feel of the Harson hire. And they are a team that, despite firing their head coach, there's still a, there's still a direct a, a lot of room down they could go. Well, speaking of stock down, I'm the last person holding on to my Bo Nix penny stocks because <laughs> I still think you can. I still think he can be a good player. I, I think you can, ha- you can have him, brother. You can I have know, him. Not- I know, I know. I still think you can fix him. I think there's enough there that he can become a playmaker for you. I think he struggled last year. Uh, and I like what Brian Harson has done with the quarterbacks. Uh, they seem like they just every year uh, have somebody else uh, over at Boise. They've been able to, to, to recreate that and, and find guys um, that, that can get it done. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm hopeful he can do the same there. But I, I'm with you. The fit is weird. Brian Harson coming in, I, I had a ton of recruiting questions as soon as they made that hire. I remember... I was going and picking up food, and I believe I was in the. Uh, uh, this was like Christmas Eve or Christmas, like the twenty third or something like that. And I saw they hired Brian Harson, which was a lot of nowhere, and uh, I had some questions. <laughs> I had some questions. I've still, I've still got the. I've still got the questions. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, it's a weird fit. Uh, he 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 didn't really take Boise to the next level necessarily. They were very good. But they weren't that team that you know people feared and uh, and and were just you know tearing everybody up in the Mountain West. They won a bunch of games out there, but uh, not the same <clears throat> you know elite elite Boise teams that that we've seen from the past when they had Chris Peterson there. But we'll see. Um, but I, I I share some of your skepticism. I think if you can fix Bo Nix uh, and and keep him from throwing off his back foot, you know every other throw, I think you can you can do some things. I think that it kind of starts there. Not to oversimplify things, and the Talo—they've recruited really, really well, um, and I think that can still that can still help you there. My other team to look out for, uh, keep it on LSU. Uh, I don't know, I don't know, Josh. The LSU stock uh, convince me it's not going to keep sliding. I just. I, I, I can't do I, I'll try I, my heart is not in it as you can tell there's just so much talent there still can you know I think that the I think that the roster gives you a floor that you are kind of close to um but boy you know it it looked ugly last year it looked unorganized unfocused you know, just kind of spinning its wheels and spinning its wheels in a bunch of different directions. They make me nervous, but I think that their talent gives them a floor. You know, um, maybe then maybe they can get kind of back to what they did, at least pointed in the direction that they did in 2019. If they if they settle on a quarterback, um, I, I wouldn't buy it or sell it. I, I would hold wherever I was on LSU. They they make me nervous. But, you know, at the same time, it could click there, and they're right back in the conversation. You know, I, the thing is, though, 
We need to get Brody Mueller in here. We need their we need their uh, their four year recruiting average. Brody or our guy Ari Wasserman, uh, recruiting guru. We need to get their four year recruiting average in. But I would have said that their talent level would keep them up, you know, above eight and four. And I guess you could make the case that they could have done that last year in a normal year. But goodness, they just you know how much of that how much of last year's struggle was making a bad hire in Bo Pelini, and how much of it was you know national championship hangover how much of it was joe brady's exit how, it's hard to know and that's not when there are so many things that were going wrong in your program <laughs> that we can't figure out exactly why that's not a great sign to me uh so we'll see on the tigers but i i'm gonna sell my tiger stock right now as soon as we get off of here i'm gonna log on to robin hood and get rid of it all <laughs> uh new coaches We'll close with this. We have Brian Harson. We have Clark Lee at Vanderbilt. We have Josh Heupel, Tennessee. And we have Mr. Shane Beamer at South Carolina. When you look at that group, who has the best chance to have a solid debut, Josh? Well, I, I, again, I mean, I'm on the record as, as it not, not going to be Harson, but you grade on such a scale in this league and it so you know what do you talk what's a solid debut i think that clark lee has got a chance to you know for us to be this time next year saying boy that guy really did a good job of stabilizing things there and if he just stabilizes things there that's a big step in the right direction. They're not going back from where they are now. There's nowhere else to go. They're back to bad Vandy. I think Clark Lee is the guy who comes out, gets a little juice back in there, wins a couple of games. You win a couple of games, and you've you've taken a big step forward. So, and part of this is I just I want interesting Vanderbilt back. I just. Maybe they can't ever be Stanford because the SEC is not the Pac-12, but I would love for them to be good and solid and get to, like, just to be a tough out again. I, I really would love for Vanderbilt to be a tough out, and so my heart hopes that Clark Lee is the guy to get them there. Mm-hmm. Well, I got to tell you, as uh, – you know, generally, I will say that I am for access and information. I'm a big fan of that. Uh, and I am uh, in the Football Writers uh, Association of America as, the, as the, the current first VP. I have to a- advocate for access and information. Obviously, college football has devolved into a covert operation guarding nuclear codes. But they took it to the next level, taking numbers off of off of players' jerseys this year in the spring at at Vanderbilt. Uh, no love for the statisticians in the house. No love. No love for the statisticians in the house. Uh, you know, I think Ken Seals can be a nice player, but you know, ultimately, you know, playing the spring game with no numbers, it was. Uh, kind of funny you're, but you're not a fa- you're not a fan you're not a fan not a of fan the- not a fan uh you know the, I, listen i love a good gimmick from time to time i really do 
uh, and maybe that's you don't get the you don't get the chain right across the middle of the of the helmet, or you don't get the V on the helmet or all that stuff. But you can take gimmicks a little too far sometimes, and it's like at some point the gimmick, especially when you're trying to build from the ground up, especially when you're probably going to take some beatings next year from time to time, when the gimmicks are just like ah, like we're sitting here talking about this when you're playing. I, I would have been I would have been really interested to hear the, the locker room conversation when the coach comes in and says, "Hey, none of you guys are wearing numbers in the spring game," and then he leaves and it's just the players. What's that conversation like? I imagine it wasn't great. Am I wrong? Yeah. Yeah, you're prob you're probably right. Um, and I and I agree that that is you know you, you've gone too far down the whatever road that is. I can't. I even... like gimmick. I like gimmick avenue. But sometimes you get too far and it gets a little dangerous. Yeah, yeah. There, th- he's on the wrong end of the road. There's no question. But I, I got faith that he's gonna, you know, you know, a few early missteps. I'll forgive him. I just, I just don't, you know, anything he does is is big. So mm-hmm. he doesn't have to get far back in the right direction to be to be considered a solid debut. Which is why I'm putting, you know, why he's my guy in this category. All right, I'll give you that. I'm about to uh, – I can't believe I'm doing this, but I, I think I'm going to go Josh Heupel at Tennessee. Has a chance for a good debut, and this is why. Kind of similar to Shane Beamer. He has the advantage of, of just zero expectations. And would you say of these three, you know, you talk about year zero. I think fans don't want to hear it. But if there was ever a case for a year zero – it's Tennessee right now. You know, I wrote my mailbag this week. We got we got several year zeros in the SEC. Yeah, I think East you, alone. Yeah, you look around. I, mean, I is, think Beamer and Lee and, and Heupel all have a case, but Heupel has a better case, and here's why. So the Baylor scandal, the Penn State scandal, a lot of a lot of players left. Not even close to what Tennessee has dealt with this offseason. That's pretty impressive. That's pretty impressive. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And and it's not Tennessee's fault. It's a perfect storm of NCAA scandal, coach firing, the one-time transfer rule passes. If the one-time transfer rule had uh, you know, uh, had passed and this thing was a little bit more normalized, I think you would have seen more. Penn State players got a free transfer. Baylor players did not. Um, but after both of those scandals, you know, Penn State only lost about half the number, the timing of the Baylor scandal, um, they lost uh, seven guys from their recruiting class. Uh, their 2017 recruiting class basically just up and left for the most part. and They had to rebuild that from scratch. But we've never seen a program that has lost the numbers that Tennessee has lost. Uh, more than two dozen total players. Um, that number is a little deceiving because some of those guys are guys that didn't contribute or were walk-ons. But the transfer portal stripped them basically of a full recruiting class, right? Not fully, but pretty much. But the numbers that I think are more relevant, you have 12 players that were on the depth chart for most of last season. They're all gone. I think seven, eight, well, yeah, seven, eight, nine of those guys are playing for Power 5 teams this year. That's an unbelievable amount of talent drain. And then on top of that, your best pass rusher last year, Kevon Bennett, dismissed in the middle of the season. He would be on this roster right now, more than like more than likely. He's dismissed. You lost four players from your recruiting class that they asked out of their letters of intent because they signed and then the coach was fired, you know, post signing day. They said, Let us go. Uh, their best 
Dylan Brooks, uh, their four-star uh, pass rusher, a four-star running back, Cody Brown, a couple of the guys wanted out. They're gone. Then you have two more guys uh, that were two of your better. Martavius French was in the 2019 or 2020 recruiting class. He is gone uh, after an offseason incident in the dorms. And then Isaac Washington as well is gone. You just lost a lot of guys that can help you. And ultimately, add all that up, it's a pretty low bar for expectations. You're coming off a 3-7 and seven year. Tennessee is going to be more fun. Uh, you know, there's plenty of talk about, you know, how, how teams can be better. And I think ultimately Tennessee, where they're at now, looks like a laydown to a lot of teams when they haven't really been paying that close of attention to what the Vols have going here. They look like a laydown. They're just going to be able to – and I think Tennessee, their offense, uh, under Josh Heupel, they have better talent. Um, than people thought. You know, Josh Palmer, a third-round draft pick, never had more than 500 yards receiving. That's not about Josh Palmer. That's about the offense. And I think they've got guys in Jalen Hyatt, Valus Jones, who can make some plays. Uh, and I think Tennessee, you know, ultimately, if you can get to 6-6, six and six, which the schedule sets them up to do, uh, it's very realistic with the schedule. People are going to be feeling pretty good. And I think that helps him. Uh, I think he'll have the best debut out of all these four coaches, despite all the things working against him, the roster issues, the defense is going to be rough. Uh, but I think you look at that schedule, you look at the expectations, he's set up to have a, a pretty nice year one or year zero, I tell, as they would say. I tell you what, I will throw all of – when you buy all of my Bo Nicks, remaining Bo Nicks stock <laughs> when we're done here – That only I'm cost gonna, me about a dime, so yeah. I'm going to throw Tennessee in with that. You can have that as well. If you had asked me <laughs> who's going to have the best year two – I would lean much more strongly toward Heupel because of the stuff that you just said. They were just so decimated. I just, boy, I I, I wonder that if he's going to be able to to do any sort of quick turnaround. I'm not selling Josh Heupel for the future for for year two, three, four. He might be there ten years, but boy, I'm not buying Tennessee stock for 2021. Let me make the case for you. I'm skeptical long term, but in the short term, non-conference, you got Bowling Green, Tennessee Tech, uh, South Alabama, and Pitt. Pitt's a toss-up. You'll be heavily favored in the other three. Then you got Vanderbilt, who you should be able to beat. That's four and a half-ish wins right there, right? If you can beat Pitt, you got Pitt at home early in the season. We'll see. Might lose that game. They'll probably, be, I guess, that'll probably be a, a line within three points, one or the other. Then you got Kentucky, South Carolina, Missouri. You can steal one or two of those games. That's basically six wins. And people are talking about Tennessee. They're going to go three and nine. Maybe. I just boy, <laughs> the, the the numbers, the the roster, the numbers make me make me nervous. Uh, I think again. Like last year, although it's a completely different structural circumstance, the Tennessee-South Carolina game is going to be very interesting Mm -hmm. in terms of which direction those two teams go from there. Because they're basically, I feel like, fighting for the same seat at the table right now. I mean, it's not the head of the table. It's not even the first or second one down the side of the table. But you got to start somewhere. And Tennessee and South Carolina right now are, are both trying to take the same step back into the conversation. So I think it'll be fascinating to watch how Beamer and, and Heupel do. I think that they'll kind of be compared 
to each other yeah. because of that parallel for several years. I, they're trying to get to the adult table. You know, last year yeah. Vandy, Vandy was out there with what, like, like fifty scholarship. Players I mean, they're looking the over there. The they're looking over there at Missouri at the adult table yeah. and thinking, where did we go wrong? I mean, yeah. you can't. That, you, you know, you got to find a quarterback. But that's the thing that Missouri, I think, when they when they found Connor Baselak, you're like, wow, like they're going to be okay for a couple of years. You can have so when you have that quarterback, it, it fixes so many things. And you know, having that, you know, Missouri knows who their guy is. I think that's really, really valuable. Something South Carolina and Tennessee can't say. You know, as far as our our, our uh, coach that that is probably going to have a rough year one. I want you know, I I, I still think Bo Nix can be can be salvageable but at Auburn when you fired Gus Malzahn for going what you know usually eight and four nine and three and beating Nick Saban and you want to hire a guy they're not set up to do make a lot of noise in year one if he goes eight and four this year there's going to be grumbling and I think that sets Brian Harson up to have a rough year one because transition years are never easy um and there's going to be a lot of really good teams in the SEC this year and I just think if you go eight and four and you got people grumbling, that's that's going to be rough for you. Yeah, if they're, if Auburn fans are already planning to be complaining at eight and four, <laughs> th- this going to be fun. This going to be fun to watch. Yeah, I know, I know. Not to be a part of over there. I don't begrudge. I, you know, I don't want to trade places with that. It's going to be fun to watch from the outside. I think we agree on on Brian Harson as the the uh, man. You just have to do something special there in year one, and I. I they're not really set up to do that in terms of roster and all this transition and a coaching staff that doesn't really know the area, doesn't really know their players that well yet. And that's tough in year one. It's really, really, really difficult. Um, so I, I don't know. Uh, Josh, it's nice to talk football. We didn't talk about whether or not the season's going to happen. We didn't talk about uh, cancellations or, uh, you know, programs being paused. The pandemic is not over just yet um but uh you know i'm fully vaccinated got some trips on the docket uh took one last weekend went up to minneapolis and hung out with some family i i I, uh it's very nice to be able to see some light at the end of the tunnel and look at that look at the end of that tunnel and see some college football uh it's very very exciting Amen. I know, you know, I, I, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing I like better than, you know, being, being really wrong about a lot of these hot, my hot SEC, um, football takes. So I'm glad we're back to, I'm glad we're back to normal and you can, what is uh, that like? I've never been wrong about a take. What is that like? It's not that bad. It's it's not that bad. You know, nobody mentions it on social media. That's the no. good thing. Mm-mm. That's nice. I appreciate that. If there's one thing that I would describe social media as it's, it's very benevolent and support and support and supportive oh yeah if i'm ever having a bad day i just log on to twitter and i i feel great i instantly feel better it's 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 you don't even need therapy you don't need any kind of you know sunlight or anything just sit in a dark room and read twitter read those replies leave, when i leave it's like I, the it's a whole new world it's unbelievable it is unbelievable so um that's my tip for all of you guys to improve your life more dark rooms more twitter your life will be so much, so much better. So, uh, you know, listen, you came for SEC football, you got life advice. You got, yeah, life dark, hacks. Dark that's rooms, what more that's social what we're media. Here for. Oh, absolutely. That's what we're here for. Well, that will do it for our spring wrap-up episode of Football and Grits. It's nice to have those back uh, in our lives. Uh, Josh Kendall, David Ubbin, leaving you. 
we'll be back soon. Thank you for listening. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can listen to us uh, ad-free in the Athletic app. And if you're not, uh, if you're an Athletic subscriber, if you're not an Athletic subscriber, you should change that. Go to theathletic.com slash grits. Thank you, guys. And we will see you in the fall to watch some college football. It feels good to say, Josh. It feels good to say. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. See you soon. Thank you.